This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready. Hi, I'm Judith. And I'm Melina. We are internet friends turned real life friends who both experienced the tragic loss of our sons to sudden infant death syndrome in winter of 2021. In the year after Aiden died, my husband and I both became unemployed, my parents divorced, and we had to move five times for various reasons. And as for me, just a few weeks before my son Quinn died, my then husband had come out to me as a transgender woman and were subsequently divorcing. It's been a lot. (laughs) It's been a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But as long as we're living, we will love our sons deeply and work to make sure that we live a life that makes them proud. Welcome to As Long As I'm Living podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hey everybody, Alina here. This is our follow-up second interview with Katie, Zane's mom of Breathing After Loss. You may remember Katie from a couple of weeks ago. Our first interview with her was called Breathing After Loss. And she and Judith talked about the struggles of having an alive baby after a dead baby, why they don't fit in with mom groups, and so much more. If you haven't listened to that episode, we have it linked in the description. So make sure you click through and listen to that one first. Um, And I'm going to put this warning on this again. I put it on the first one too. This is a triggering topic for a lot of people. If if you're like me and you don't have a living baby in your arms, I I know listening to parents of living children complain can be really hard. And so we encourage you to skip this episode. If that is something that's going to hurt your heart, come back and see us next week. It's really, really fine. That said, I've listened to these episodes and I don't find them particularly triggering. So if you're on the fence, You can always give it a shot. And remember, you can stop listening. If it's making you feel bad, please stop listening. We ask you, please. Um, Anyway, we hope you enjoy this episode. Even I enjoyed this episode. Um, Thank you so much to Katie for coming on the podcast. And thank you to Judith for taking this one on her own. I really appreciate it. What I do know is that grief takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. And the minute you have this baby, you have a lot less energy and a lot less time. So I, how do you feel about grieving while parenting? The ways that this, this, my son dying has made me a better mother to Anwar are very different in the ways that it has caused me to struggle, struggle in my motherhood that I wouldn't have previously. Mm. Because when you become a mom, a parent, dad, whatever you prefer to call yourself, it is like a shock to your system. Mm -hmm. It is the most exhausting thing you will experience taking care of newborn. You know, all all of a sudden this little baby is dependent on you. And we're already starting from like negative a thousand where you are experienced so much trauma and grief that it is physically exhausting and has impacted your physical body. And during that time you're pregnant and then you have a baby. And for me, what I experienced was I just did not even have the energy. I didn't have a lot of energy. For me, one of the worst things about the newborn stage in my second son is I suffered from like debilitating insomnia. Mm. Um, I've had that since Zane died. And that really impacted my experience the first maybe like four months of my second son's life. Mm. And that made me very bitter because... I was only experiencing that because my son died. Um, And so there's a lot of ways where, you know, I've become 
become like a better mother, but like it's really hindered my experiences and taken away from it. It's like secondary losses all over again. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's probably right. I also know that for me, I spent a lot of time when I wasn't, I didn't have a, a daughter. I spent a lot of time like just being debilitated and I don't have that choice right now. I don't mm-hmm. have the option to sleep in late. I don't have the option to lay on the floor for hours. I don't have the option to forget things. I don't have the option to just be irresponsible and like just lose myself in the moment. I have to be responsible. I have to be alert. I, I have to be present. Um, I have to wake up in the morning and early. And I think that my grief has maybe the growth and the progress of my grief has slowed since I've given birth. I agree. Cause you don't almost, and I remember it was funny cause I heard this when, um, Zane died. A lot of the families I talked to would experience that when they lose a child, while they already have living children, they feel like they don't have a lot of space to grieve yeah. because, you know, your four-year-old needs attention and you yeah. can't sit in bed all day. And, you know, I really related to that after my second son was born. Cause like you said, you know, this baby needs you and, um, you don't necessarily get the time that you can commit to just sitting with your grief or even stuff like attending therapy, you know, going yeah. on trips or whatever you're doing for your grief, like support groups. It's, it's like, well, is that what, what does my baby need? Um, and then also I don't find you have the space and I hope maybe some of your listeners have, you know, supportive loved ones in their life that can kind of grasp at the concept of grieving and being happy at the same time. But most people just think everything's fine. Yeah. You know, when your child died, it's like everybody's there and they understand, they understand why you're sad, maybe to not yeah. be upset. But then when another child, you know, is like, born, why are you better? Yeah. Like, at least you have this kid yeah. now. It's like the grief. It's almost even more invisible. People forget about it. And so they have, I think, like less patience. They're like just less understanding about the fact that you're actively grieving. Um, I think they just assume that you're all better. And it's really hard to be fighting and be like, no, I'm not better. Like, I need your empathy. I need your patience. I need help. I'm drowning. When everyone's like, look, you have a baby all better now. It almost makes it worse in some ways than... Mm-hmm. When you, I mean, I, I will always choose having an alive child over having no alive children. I'm just saying it makes the grieving, like, it makes the interactions with other people worse. Um, that it makes It definitely makes it more complicated. Yeah, more and, complicated. And it's hard to, because it can make you feel like nobody cares anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you feel like you have even, you know, you're already starting from such a, a slim baseline for yeah. the average person of having space to grieve and talk about yeah. their child. And, you know, when you have another one that comes into the picture or existing children, like focus on your other kids. Yeah. And it's like that gets even smaller and smaller and it, it's so isolating. That's where community is really important and finding community of people who are um, experiencing this as well, because that can be really hard. And then, you know, not having an understanding of why holidays are still hard for you. Uh, Yes. Or or like even, okay, this perfect example you and I just talked about, like birthdays. So our children are turning one and um, it's very hard because you compare what everybody is doing for one of your children's birthday, but not the other. Meaning for my alive daughter's birthday, the whole family is coming to town. Everyone wants to be there. All the good things. 
for my dead son's birthday, it's like a different feeling. Some my family does some of my family comes to town, but it's just a different it's a different feeling. Not all of them do. No, not everyone reaches out. People kind of are more eager to forget about that. And I can see, oh, for the dead child, they don't bring gifts. But for the live child, they all bring gifts. And I get it. Obviously, a dead baby does not need gifts. But to me, I love each of my children equally. And I want each of my children to have a happy birthday, a celebratory birthday. I almost feel like I had to make a bir- like a birthday cake for both my kids. Because if I did it for one, I had to do it for the other. Even though one is dead. It's very hard for me um, to see what everyone's willing to do for one. And I have to fight for so much, for just a little space for the other. And it's hard to communicate that in a way that is not taking away from the child that they're celebrating because you're trying to explain that, yes, you love the second child and you are so happy that they are getting celebrated and you want you know, the child that died to be celebrated. Right. And I see that a lot, um, around Christmas time with families wanting stockings for the babies that died and the babies that are living can be again, really challenging. Um, you know, I was talking on my Instagram account, my two sons were born about a week apart. So six days, and we're currently planning a birthday party and I have to make sure the dates you know, don't get too close together yeah. because it's taking away from one and just trying to explain those feelings. Yeah. You know, why, why I'm feeling so complicated. It's like, well, it's their birthday. You should be yeah. just like, focus on the birthday that, you know, his birthday that you're celebrating. It's like, well, it's not that simple for me. Mm-hmm. And then also all the complicated feelings it is for like planning, you know, this birthday that maybe the other child never got to have. And yeah. it's hard. I, my in-laws, um, like my mother-in-law likes to send out an email to the entire family for like everyone's birthday, all the cousins and whatever. It's like an email and then everyone texts. But she doesn't do that for Aiden. But she will do it for my daughter. And I, this is my mother-in-law has only the best of intentions. But it's very hurtful when there's such a clear-cut comparison. And the yeah. comparison is so close to one another because our children were born so close to one another. Um, I also think part of it is that I feel like I see two children everywhere. I see both yeah. my son and my daughter everywhere. And it feels like I'm looking at an invisible friend. And I feel like, it's like, why am I the only one in this room that see two kids? Everyone else sees one kids and I always see two. And that is really hard because there may be people that actually just see you as a mom to one child. Um, I think that there are some people who at the heart of the hearts, they do. And they do not understand why I keep pushing for Aiden, why I keep pushing to include him, why I keep pushing to talk about him, why I keep pushing. Or they forget, which is so hurtful because I genuinely feel sometimes people forget that you have another child. Um, And it's interesting that you share that experience as well, because when Zane died, I was so focused on the fact that people were treating me this way because they never met him is because he died like right before his due date. But I and feel it, the same way. And that's what I had heard. And I have heard this from women who have experienced like miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, even interestingly, I have a very close lost mom friend who she's lost her daughter and her, her brother also died mm-hmm. um, before she had her loss. And she's even told me her mother has experienced something similar. And her brother was like in his 20s when he died. Yeah. And so this is like a universal experience. 
Um, yeah. And it's just it, it, more reasons why it gets isolating and it's hard. It changes relationships and you're, you know, it's, it's complicated. Did I tell you about how I went to the, the mall um, a few, like maybe a month ago at this time. And there was this like little boy playing with my daughter, like in the tunnel. And I took yeah. a picture of this random strange kid playing with my kid. And I just stare at it all the time. And I look at this picture and I love this picture and I treasure this picture of this perfect stranger boy that I will never see again, that I don't know who he is. And it feels like for the first time ever, I see in actuality what I see in my head. Um, And there's so much longing too. Yeah. Even as your daughter ages and as she sees more kids and older kids. It's almost getting harder and worse. The yeah. more that she does, it's getting harder and worse because I think in the beginning I knew, okay, well, this is what babies do one month, two months, like I kind of like knew, but I didn't know what, like, I didn't know what it's like when they say the first word or their first step or whatever. And they're going to start doing math and reading books. And it's like, wait a minute, I lost all of that. Not only did I lose a baby who like, will never have an avocado. Like that's what I was so fixated on when Aiden died, that he's never going to have an avocado. Yeah. And he never laughed. But not only did I lose that, like I lost a child who will never go to a concert, who will never tell me he loves me. I, all these things that my daughter hopefully is going to get to do, like I now have to watch in a front row seat and learn because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And we know like some of the milestones, but I don't think you and I could sit here and tell you what five-year-olds do. Like we don't know. And it's so yeah. hard to have like more as she ages an acute awareness of what I lost. Yeah. And especially it's, it's so normal when you have multiple children to like compare and contrast their personalities and what they're interested in and what what they hate and their preferences. And all of that is longing because you don't have any of that, you know? And as they, every year that passes, there's going to be some, some things more that um, you figure out, like you could, for me, it's like, okay, maybe my second son, he'll really enjoy swimming. And it's like, yeah. well, would Zane like swimming or would he not I like swimming? The same thing. It's, I have no, you don't know. And it's just this constant longing for all these experiences you will never get, which is why people don't understand that, you know, the grief doesn't go away and it evolves and it changes, but yeah. it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better. And yet we are doing better. I think you and I are doing better because we have a lot of children who are doing well. I think yes. we are better. We are in mental heads, better headspace. We are um, just more joyful. There's more life in our eyes. Like we are doing better, oh, even yeah. though things are still you and I, this is an interesting thing about you and I, okay, I'll say two observations. Um, the first thing is that you and I, I would say spend very, we, you and I spend more time talking about normal mom things than I spend talking about normal mom things with other moms. And it's almost because we have this like relatable experience that we don't have to explain that we're second time moms, you know, that we should know this already. Like, because we already both understand that we're second time moms, there's more latitude for me to talk about teething and talk about like sleeping through the night and, you know, sending, I don't know what we send, like little like tchotchkes that we find to make those um, pouches easier to eat yeah we spend more time doing that because there's this shared understanding that we're both competent loving parents to two children and I don't feel like I have to fight for people to remember that that's the first thing and then the second thing I'll say is that um I think a part that we're not talking about is like we also talk a lot about how hard things are 
things are really hard. And we do not, I think in my head, I kind of imagine like moms after a loss, like, you know, I imagine they talk more about like, what kind of food is your baby eating? And I don't think I realized how, um, how our lives are still really bad and really hard. And we talk about it all the time. Yes, we have so much new happiness in our life. And there's a lot of things that we struggle with. Um, and I, I don't think I would have, you know, being pregnant at the time would have thought about all these things that I now struggle with to parent after loss, um, just all the complicated feelings. Um, and I will say, like you mentioned, having a community and people that you feel safe with to talk about, you know, your authentic self, because I have some mom friends that have never experienced loss and I feel super comfortable with them talking about you know sleeping and my son is now into like biting and yeah and I can talk about them without you know having any ill will or being like well you don't understand it because you don't have a dead child and I think it comes down to you have to surround yourself with people that you feel safe with because it's so important to have that safe space to just be honest with your feelings, whatever they are, whatever that's like, you know, you want to talk about what you're struggling with, or you want to talk about how great your day was with your living child. Yeah. What else would you want to tell people who are pregnant right now? Like what guidance or what, what is something that you would want to share with them? Talking to yourself a year ago. Um, You know what I want to share, but I don't even want to say it because when people would say this to me, I get so mad. I remember when I was pregnant, I could not imagine and even when I had um, my second son, like the newborn phase was really triggering for me because yeah. that was like the first hit of, oh my God, this is what I lost. Yeah. But you will feel happiness again. It's not going to just be sad all the time. There's going to be new sadness and there's going to be new struggles, but you will feel a new normal. That's not just feeling like the ball is going to drop being alive is like a punishment. Everything's awful. And, you know, I remember people would say that to me and I could never picture that for myself. Yeah. I just thought that even parenting a living child that I could, you know, be happy with them, but not be happy again. Yeah. And you're not going to be happy in the way that you were before you experienced what you did, but that doesn't mean you can't find new some like new happiness and new normalcy. So I also want to say that um, at, we have one alive child, one dead child. You and I both want more alive children. As you think about growing your family, like what is the number one feeling that just kind of comes up to the surface? Like immediately, like what do you think of when I say like, you know, having more kids? <sighs> Doing this again. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God, I'm so glad you said that. Because I think the same thing. I mean, obviously I want more kids, but I'm like, oh my God, you want me to do that again? That was the hardest thing in the entire world. It was real. I had like the day my second son was born, it was like, like the stress over that time because it was just so stressful being pregnant that I, I, and I get how I was before I had my second son where, you know, I worry about more babies dying. I also worry about like family dynamics. You know, I'm sure a lot of people talk about, um, you know, if you have a boy that dies, what do you, if you have a boy again, yeah. what if you have a girl again, I think about like sibling dynamics. Yeah. If you have a... And so I, I think anytime you start thinking too much into the future and predicting that it never leads you down a good hole, but 
Um, I'm yeah, glad you I said feel, that. I think that's I honest. feel very complicated about having to do this again. But then I want, like, I always pictured myself with, um, you know, two living kids, like kids who had siblings. I didn't yeah. realize I needed to be specific at that moment, like two alive, <laughs> like alive. Like I yeah. missed that word when I was, you I know, totally missed that word too. family planning. So um, I don't know. What would you say is your biggest piece of advice for somebody who's transitioning potentially from being pregnant to being parenting after loss? There's almost like there is no advice. Even when people ask no me that about being pregnant after I loss. I just would say this is so hard. This is so hard and so good. And I guess the only advice I have is to find other people because when you, I always think, that when you share that heavy load amongst a community, it becomes lighter for everyone. That's like the only advice I could have. Find other people who can help you by understanding. They don't have to have the exact same loss. They don't have to have the exact same feelings, but just find someone who when you're in their presence, you feel like you're not alone. That's, mm -hmm. That's all you can do. It's be hard Because it's hard. It's going to be hard. And I hope to God in the future it's easier. I just hope it gets yeah. easier. The idea of having more kids, like, I mean, you know, it was different for me because my son died of SIDS. So there was this whole component of sleeping. Like yes. Every we didn't talk about night, that. I know. The anxiety over thinking so much anxiety dying. over the child sleeping. Like, how do I sleep at night? Do I sleep at night? How is my child monitored when I sleep at night? How do I let my child sleep in someone else's home? Like, I would walk downstairs and find my daughter in the position my son died in. And all the time I would, I would walk when she was little, 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 I would walk downstairs and see her like in that same position with her arms up and my heart would stop. And I would walk into her room and I would expect her to be dead with every fiber of my being. I would put my hand on the doorknob and I would be like, oh, I'm going to go find her dead, but I have to go inside because, you know, I have to check on her or whatever it is. And I obsessively, my husband and I both, when we watch on the monitor, we zoom in so close so we can see her chest move. All the time I'm sitting there watching her breathing. And um, there's so much PTSD with just this idea of sleep. There are times where I'll be like, well, if she's dead already, she's dead already. I mean, I, I, nothing I can do about it yeah. now. I literally will sit in my office, be working on a work project, know that it's about time for her to wake up on her nap. And I'm scared to check. But then I tell myself, Judith, she's dead. There's nothing you can do. She's dead already. So let's just check the monitor. And every yeah, single time, time, I like let out a sigh of like, okay, she's alive. I don't feel, I do not feel calm or confident in the fact that she's going to wake up in the morning ever. I do not have that. I don't have that confidence. I continue to live in a place where I'm shocked every time it happens. Yeah, you need like an episode just dedicated to the feelings of thinking your child's dead all the time all the time because you as a sid mom that makes perfect sense and other moms struggle with that in different ways because that's kind of all you know is a child yeah. dying that is all i know is that they you give birth and then they die and then what happens is what happens is your body goes through this like roller coaster and i think part of the reason i'm so drained and so exhausted is because i'm constantly in fight or flight constantly well, now mm -hmm. it's better now that she's older. But for the first six months, it's like, I'm not only am I not sleeping at night, I'm constantly in this roller coaster of like building myself up to just check on her and then the relief and then building myself up to check on her and then the relief that she's still alive. 
it's exhausting and for you is it just sleeping or do you struggle with that like if you're away from her and she's like I don't know like on a car ride to the grocery store without you like say with yeah no then I do then weirdly if I'm out of town and I'm not home I am so much better it's kind of like out of sight out of mind I think for me it's the responsibility of keeping a child alive like I remember when mm -hmm. I was pregnant the entire time I was pregnant I could not breathe because I felt so I felt solely responsible for keeping her alive. And so I couldn't sleep at night because if I slept at night and she died on my watch, it was my responsibility. And right. if I'm not home, it's not my responsibility to keep her alive. And so I feel like mm -hmm. I can finally like relax. But if I'm in the house, it is my responsibility. That's exhausting. It is exhausting. And I'm wondering if anyone ever tried to compare those feelings to what like first moms experience because thinking your child died is a common first child experience. And I remember actually someone said that to me and I got really hurt that they said that because I was having some anxiety over my second son and him dying and they told me, well, that's just like what moms experience. Oh my God. I well, remember... I can tell you because I've been a first time mom for the first time and I've been a first time mom for the second time. So I can tell you, I did go over to Aiden and put my finger under his nose and I, to feel his breath. I did go check his chest to see if it was rising, falling. I did watch the monitor, but the difference is I wasn't mentally preparing myself for the fact that he was dead. The first, the second time around, you're preparing because you're basing that off not hypothetical situations, but lived experiences. And the yeah. first time around, it was like, I think I would check, but I would check without fear. Like I was, I wasn't afraid yet. Does that like make any sense? Body or, yeah. Like I was anxious about it. I was anxious for sure. But I wasn't like feeling in my bones, the feeling of you can't breathe of like, of PTSD. I wasn't. Yeah, you have you're having a physical reaction yeah. because it's bringing up, you know, and, and those experiences that you have had, not these imaginary things that yes. may happen. And it's not only that, but I also imagine this. I okay, I'm sitting there trying to open the door. Like you have to understand, every time I open the door, this is what's running through my mind. It's not just am I going to find her dead. It's like okay, what color will she be? I know her color, skin will be gray. What's going to happen when the police are going to come? I literally these are things that run through my mind. Okay, well, what, police are going to ask what I was doing. What was I doing? Oh, I was working. Okay, you were working. Okay, so when the police come and ask you what happened, you can say you were working. Or, and then when was, I'm sitting there, when was the last time she ate? Because the police are going to want to know when was the last time she ate. And then I'm thinking, all of this is happening in the span of one second while I open the door. Where am I going to bury her? Of course, I have to bury her in Los Angeles, but I'm here in Maryland. So where am I, you know, it's 25 million things that you can only think about if you've lived through the experience once. Um, and I'm all of that is happening in the span of one second when I open the door. So it is not at all like when I would check on Aiden breathing. Because when I would check on Aiden breathing, like I was like looking for his breath, but I was not imagining him dead. And I wasn't sitting there being like, well, how, how am I going to live without him? I was not that far in my mind. You know, I was, I never, it never got that far in my head. But when you know what it looks like, it's possible to go so much further. You mm -hmm. know so much more. Um, so imagine that entire racing thoughts that I just described, what, four, five, six times a day? It's a lot. It's a lot. That's why it's exhausting. That's why it's exhausting. Physically. Um, 
And that's coming off of already, you know, a pregnancy that was really mentally hard. Like, and that's coming off of, you know, a woman whose baby just died. I mean, it's it's a buildup and how I think one of the areas. I have nothing left in my cup to begin with. In the beginning, I had nothing. When I was pregnant, I had nothing and I had to go through pregnancy on fumes. Then I had a baby and I had nothing in my cup to give. And I had to go through the newborn stage on fumes. And then I have nothing to give. I'm so burnt out to begin with. And I think Mm -hmm. that just makes parenting so much more difficult because you're constantly being asked to give of yourself to this like living child. Mm-hmm. And then whatever other life stresses you have. Exactly. Talk of that. And yeah, it's pretty fucked it's up. Really, really hard. It's really fucked up. It's really fucked up. And that's why when you think about doing it again, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this was lovely. Yeah, this was fun. We need I to know. Do this again. Yes. Well, you're invited back on the podcast whenever you want. And I want to do an episode with you talking about pregnancy. So we yes. can talk about all of these feelings of pregnancy that we kind of just had a little teaser about. But for now, I'm hopeful that this kind of makes a lot more women at home feel a little less lonely and a little more seen. Thank you so anyway, much, Jane. Yeah, thanks for having me. And let's get together before the birthdays and death days. Yes, no, definitely. no birthdays. The birth and death days for you and just the death days and birthday for me. Yep, exactly. To all of our wonderful new friends, we want to hear from you. Email us at as long as I'm living podcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at as long as I'm living podcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grieving brains allow. Yay.